Today we're starting a new series on this thing called the moment, if you will. If we could take that word and squeeze it down to the moment. Today we're going to look at the moment, those moments, and this moment. The moment in time. Before we get into that, I'd like to take just a moment and say a word of appreciation. I don't think they're here, but would you tell them for us? There's a couple that's had a pretty difficult time this past year, but they have been foundation stones in the life of this church for many, many, many years. And um, husband's a deacon, always part of the counting team, serving. If anything needs to be done, this guy is in the midst of it, working to make it happen. His wife was on my youth leadership team 40 years ago when we were here the first time, and um, if you want a picture of loving and serving and faithfulness, you're thinking of Freeman and Carol Clyer. Keep them in your prayer, fighting some real health battles, but just, just wanted to say that word and you share it with them that we just love them to death and we're thankful for them. Mom, a moment, we don't think much about it. Experience a moment with me. You ready? One minute. Kind of seemed long in the service, didn't it? When, you, when we go quiet for just a moment, it can seem long. Now, if you only had a minute to live, it wouldn't seem long, right? That would be rushing quickly to the end of time. But how many moments of our life just go on past us, and there's, there's nothing major or significant happens, and then all of a sudden, in the midst of the life, there would be one moment that changes everything, changes the course of your life. Could be a, a trauma, could be a loss, it could be a victory, could be a job change, could be a relationship development. Just in a moment, everything can change. And that's what we're going to look at in this concept of the, of the momentous of for the next two or three weeks. We're going to be looking at the moment that literally changed the world. The moment that baby was born in a manger. It just changed everything. Gave us hope to a hopeless world. And we're so thankful for that. If you have your Bibles, would you look at Galatians chapter 4? We'll be referring to that a few times today. Because it has in that phrase, when the time had fully come. When the set or established time had fully come, God sent His Son. 
at the perfect moment in God's plan of all of the moments of throughout history, in that one precise moment, God sent His Son to this earth to establish a whole new covenant for us to live in. So let's look at the moment, if you will, for just a moment. Jesus coming at this right moment. If you live 70 years, that promise that the Scripture talks about, of about 70 years is going to be our lifetime, that each of us get 24.5 million moments. So that's what you have, 24.5 million moments to your life. People in the day of Jesus, they, if you know the history of that, they missed him. The majority of the folks on planet earth in that precise moment missed him, missed Jesus. They didn't know what was happening. They were just busy with their life, shepherding, farming, marrying, raising children, doing everything that life goes on. But they weren't aware that in that moment, everything changed. They were too busy to pay attention to this unmarried young lady giving birth on a journey, unexpected, um, unprepared, forced journey. That this baby would be born inside of a cattle stall in a manger that was meant for hay and grain for the cattle. The baby was placed there. In that moment, nobody could see it. No, we're, we were just too busy to even catch that. And it was even in a little place called Bethlehem, house of bread, somewhere out there where it's just a small unknown town. Almost everybody, if you think about, missed that moment. That changed the world. For many of you, it's changed your eternity. And even in this day, can change people's eternity. In a moment. If they hear the message, they receive the message by faith. In that moment, their eternity is changed. That's big stuff that can happen. A lot of times, life is busy. Have you ever asked anybody, how are you doing? What's their first word? Busy. After fine, fine, busy, don't we all say that? Just busy, busy. And we miss him, I think, in the moment of our everyday as well, in our busyness. We miss him because we contradict at times his word in the decisions of our life. We miss him when we choose something and is outside of his will. We miss him when... We're rebellious and we're willful and say, I'm going to have it my way for this moment. We miss him in that moment. We miss him in our political agendas that are contrary to the teaching of his word. We miss him. We miss him when we let the idols, the things that we give our hearts to in this world, when we allow idols to take our time away from him. We miss him in the moment of his calling. And that calling can be throughout your day, the unknown stop, the the gas station stop, the grocery store stop, the sitting by somebody in an office that you normally walk by and you don't have time for, but you take a minute and sit down. And we might miss him in the moment. I call it the tap on the shoulder when God speaks and you're there and and God says, I want you to do this, speak this, take care of this situation. It doesn't help that we have our phone 
right here in front of us all the time now. And information is bombarding us through the phone. And we were watching, we're, we're at a, a table at dinner and everybody's around the table, has their phone and they're talking to each other across the table. And while the phone's on, we're also watching TV and we got earphones in and we got music. So we're just bombarded with information coming at us at an overload pace. And we, what if we're missing him in the moment? What if he's trying to see something in the moment as we're going through that? If we go back to that Galatians passage that hopefully you have in front of you, it says this, time, when the time, the moment fully came. It says that in, and then Isaiah expanded on that much earlier than, than Paul wrote it. And Isaiah 46.10 says, I make known the end from the beginning. I make known the end from the beginning. You ever wonder how God knows everything from the beginning to the end? Every moment, every second in between, He knows about that. The only way that helps me understand it is if I had a box of some kind, maybe this, this box, and from here is the beginning of time and here's the end of time, and we think, how does God know Everything is going to happen before it happens. We'll understand this. God created everything, right? He even created this concept of time when he put the sun and the moon and the stars that counts the days, counts the moments. But the situation is God is not caught in creation between here and here. God is outside of creation. So he sees the end as clearly as he sees the beginning. And that's why his prophecies are totally fulfilled at, at the proper moment. Because he knows it. He already knows the end from the beginning. At the specific time in history that God had predetermined in his creation, he sent Jesus, his only son, to become the sacrifice for the sin of all mankind caught within that time frame of creation. When the time had fully come, do you understand? It was not a matter of chance. It wasn't a coincidence that all of this happened the way that it happened. Everything in this narrative of the story of the birth of Jesus from the message of the angel to Mary, to Joseph, to the pregnancy, to the travel to Bethlehem, all of that was in accordance to the fulfillment of what God had said would happen. It was the prophecy. At the proper time, it wasn't a coincidence. His coming was a part of the divine plan established before even God spoke in the beginning when He, when he began to speak the words of creation. That plan was already in, in God's plan in His mind. When Jesus came to the Roman world, and that was the time frame of his birth, the time when Rome was in uh, control of most of the known world at the time. Powerful uh, culture, powerful government uh, that the world lived in. But they were expecting, the, believer, the believers were expecting a deliverer to come. They were expecting the Messiah. And the Jewish, practicing Jewish folks of today are still expecting the Messiah, because they have not believed Jesus is the Messiah. But they were expecting a Messiah to come. 
Now, you've heard this, but their expectation was for a conquering Messiah to come who would come in in military force, set up Israel as the founding power of the world, and create a government uh, to overthrow the Roman government to establish the, ki- the kingdom here. They were expecting that kind of a Messiah, white horse, military, strong man, to come in. The, re- the old religions of the day were losing their influence and they were kind of dying off. The old philosophies that were being spoken uh, across the land by those philosophers, those wise men, people had stopped listening to them because they began, they weren't really making sense. It wasn't really fitting the lives of the people. And so folks were looking for something that would really change their life. The new, there were new mystery religions popping up in the Roman Empire. The mystery religions were coming around, but and that, but it was, it was strange teaching. It really wasn't something they, that was fulfilling it. Basically, you would say, spiritually, they were bankrupt. The people were bankrupt at this time in their spirits. And they were longing for something. It was into that world that God said, I'm going to send my son. And he sent Jesus to be born. Specifically the way he did. Here's what it says. God sent his son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those that are under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God's in his son. Look at that word. And here's how John wrote about it in John chapter 1 of the gospel of John. He wrote these words. He was the word of God. In the beginning was the word. And the word, that word is in the original language, logos, which means truth, ultimate defined truth. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, the word. All things were made through him and without him nothing that was, has been made. Nothing that, has, that is made has been made without Jesus. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. He goes on to say he's the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Notice that he took on, in this little phrase, he took on, it's hard to kind of concept, but a God that is unlimited sent his son, which was himself, and that he put on, Human flesh. Have you ever thought of the limitation that he put upon himself when he did that? He became with the DNA of man. He put himself within that confines of man. The word became flesh with the word is sarks. And he made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the writer said. The glory of the one and the only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Do you understand that little phrase wipes out every other world religion? Because it says right here, the one and the only Son. He came as the one and only Son of God. There's not other options here. He's the one. He's the way. And it says he was born of a woman. Human genetics. 
Here's how that happened in, as, as it was written in Luke chapter 1, and you'll know the Bible story. In the sixth month Elizabeth of Elizabeth's pregnancy, and that was Mary's cousin, Elizabeth was Mary's cousin, who was carrying a child within her that was six months ahead of Jesus' uh, conception, and she was carrying the one who would become John, the forerunner if you will, of Jesus, who prepared the way. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, and Gabriel is one of the highest ranking that we hear of in Scripture's highest ranking angels. And so angel, the angel Gabriel came and declared uh, this message. He came to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph a descendant of David, and if you know scriptural history and prophecy, this is a major fulfillment, that this, this Messiah was going to come through the descendants of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel Gabriel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord's with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this would be, and you would do the same. If Gabriel came to talk to you, you would be terrified. We would be, as most happens in Scripture, every time it happens, people are on their face terrified before this presentation. And she was, they used the words troubled. That may be an understatement here. Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was troubled at his words and wondered what greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants, Israel, forever, and his kingdom will never end. Notice in here, he says he was born under the law, Jewish. He was born to redeem those under the law, the Israelites. He came to redeem Israel. Why? Because if you'll remember back or look back in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8, I'm not going to give you that scripture, but here's what it's saying is that God divorced Israel, and it says that in Jeremiah. He divorced them because they were unfaithful to him. Like in a marriage covenant, one partner is living in adultery and faithfulness. God got, he sent prophets to them over and over, return, return, come back to me. And at a point, he divorced Israel. And so God sent his son Jesus to come back to win divorced Israel, the, the bride, if you will, back to himself. That we might receive adoption to sonship, and this is great news of the New Testament for those of us not Jews, but Gentiles. He came that for all of us, we can also be brought in as adopted children into his family. Think up the moments if you can, from way back in history until your day today. 
that have made up Earth's history. Millions of moments of these individual moments have come and then they've gone by. Most of those went by and nothing very significant happened. But think about your own life. There have been some significant life-changing moments. Moments where, because you're still on your day of birth, we still eat cake today, right? That was a significant moment in your life when you came. There were significant moments in your upbringing where people, where dad or mom spoke words of life to you. And they spoke blessings into your life. Those are significant moments. And those words are probably burned into your mind. There can also be the significant moments of damage, of hurt, of harm, of curse. Where somebody of significance said something to you in destructive words, angry words, bitter words. Or they may, somebody of significance may have walked out of your life at some point. And that moment changed everything. Could have brought severe hurt and damage into your heart and into your life and into your thinking. But then there was the day for many of you where you were in some event, a vacation Bible school, a youth camp, a revival service, a church service, and you heard the message of Jesus again. But on this particular day, the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of your heart and said, now is your time. This is your moment. And you came and you asked Christ to come into your heart. It changed everything. It changed your eternity in that moment of faith. Your wedding. The birth of your children. The starting of a job or a business. Your, your retirement day. Your death day. Those moments change everything. Out of all the moments, there are significant moments that happen. But looking at the millions of moments of events on the earth, the one and most important moment happened in a little town, in a barn, in a manger, a baby was born. In that moment, whether we knew, we didn't know about it because we weren't here. The people then didn't know about it because they didn't have mass communication like we did. Like we do. But in that moment, everything changed. The only way for Gentiles prior to that moment, the only way for us if you're non-Jewish and you're of a Gentile descent, the only way for us to have been able to be right with God before the moment of Jesus' birth would be for us to convert to Judaism. For us to go through begin to live under the, the plan of the, uh, the writing of Leviticus and the laws, the, the Torah, and live under the law of God. And on that high atonement day, Yom Kippur, where the priest would go in and take the sacrificial blood, put it on the altar before God, we would have to convert to that, trust that priest to go in and make atonement, to pay or cover our sin for that year. And then we would begin to function within the feasts and the festivals and, re and the remembrance of God. We would have to trust everything on that for us to be right with God. But in that moment, Jesus came and said, 
He was coming to start or establish the new covenant. It's not law now, but it's under grace. It's by grace we're saved. Through faith. Not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. He came, the new covenant is a gift. It's a good father coming to, like Fraser said, it's a good father coming to call back broken children and restore them in these moments. Out of all the moments of your life, let me ask you again, which is the most significant? Like I said, that moment could be a really traumatic moment that damaged you, or it could be a redemptive moment. Let's look at those moments. Jesus provides at the right moments. Some of us in this Christmas season, kind of like Thanksgiving, we just went through it. It's awesome. Lots of food, lots of football, lots of family. And we went through that, but we may have walked right through it and missed some moments. Because there may have been God-ordained moments in those times together with our family, with our kids. Where we were to take that child and put them on our knee and, and speak blessing to them. I tried that with most of my grandkids as, if they, as they came by and I have a moment... I spoke into their ear on, uh, and said, I need you to know, I think you're awesome. You're one of the greatest things that has ever happened in my life. And I tried to speak those words, grab some moments out of the busyness, grab some moments and speak life into our family. We so desperately needing it. We're needing it. God's timing and his moments are not always our plans. They may sneak up on us or they may come in at a time that we feel like it's an uh, improper time. But God comes in particular moments. His timing is good. Psalm 145.15 says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. It even says this in Romans chapter 5, Paul wrote, for while we were still helpless, at the appointed time, at the moment, Christ died for the ungodly. See, we, most of the world miss, misses these moments, but they're changing everything. I'm just wanting you to understand that we've been given some moments to live to. And every one of them that we have an opportunity, uh, if you are a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, Take those opportunities that God gives you to be Jesus to your family. To speak words of life, to speak blessing into those that are around you. Because if you'll think about it with me, at the right time God called Abraham to be the father of a chosen people. At the right time. At the right time God spoke to Moses to say, I want you to lead my people out of bondage. He didn't, like what the, he didn't like the request, but God spoke it in a moment. In a moment, God released Joseph from his prison cell so that he could become a redeemer of Israel. At the right time, God declared Gideon to be a mighty warrior, even though he found himself in a pit, afraid of what was happening next. At the right time, God came to the woman with the issue of blood, and healed her. At the right moment, God sent His Son, Jesus, 
to be the Savior of the world. At the right time, God called you. In your lost condition, somewhere, somewhere, somehow, God spoke and, and said to you, in that moment, I've called you to be mine. I've chosen you to be mine. In that moment, it was different for every one of us in the room. At the right time, if you were born again, God came to you and said, I'm calling you to this. I want you to do this for me. I want you to preach the word, to teach the word. I want you to sing for me. I want you to be an actor for me. I want you to establish businesses in my name. I want you to be a teacher to influence children for me. I want you to be a counselor to help people from brokenness to redemption. I want you to be a carpenter to build, and as you're building, be an ambassador for me. I called you to be an office worker so that in that, in that office, you're to be the Messiah representative in that office. I called you to be a daddy or a mama to raise up the next generation that, that know the Lord and walk in the power of His Word and the power of His Spirit. God spoke to you in a moment. Did we listen? Did we obey? And the last one I want to look at is this moment. Jesus says, right now is the moment. Here's the verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation... I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Did you hear it? Some of you are thinking, well, I'm waiting for the right time. I'm waiting to get, waiting to get all my questions answered. I'm ready, waiting for everything fits for me in order for me to give my life to the Lord. And the scripture says right here, now is your time. Right now is the time of God's favor in your life. It's the time to bring the sins of your past. It's time to bring the failures, your failure of marriage, your failure of parenting, whatever it is. Bring your damages and ask God to be your forgiver and ask Him to be the healer of your life. Ask Him to cleanse you. And then when you're cleansed, say, Father, whatever I have, whatever I possess, whatever I don't have, I want to give to you. And you invite him to take over your life. Do you understand in this moment, to reject him equals hell? We don't like to hear that at Christmas. But to reject the Lord in the moment of his calling means that you're choosing to go your own way and you're rejecting his salvation. If you accept it, then you're receiving His promise of salvation, forgiveness, and heaven as your eternity. To reject Jesus' payment for your sin means you get to keep the guilt of your sin and the payment for that sin. Or, if you accept Jesus' payment for your sin, He's trading His righteousness to you and He's taking your sin on Himself. That's an option in this moment. 
Vicky, come on up. When I was eight years old, I, I was raised in the home of a pastor. I have three older brothers. But around that eight years of age time, church changed for me. Things began to get really troublesome for me. I'd go to service and I kind of, I would dread it because there was a conviction that began to set on my life. And it would, the conviction would hit me and it's a real thing. I remember the stress and the pain of it. And then I would think, but my dad's the pastor. Surely I'm okay because I got a good dad. And then the message would come back, no, it's about you. It's all you. You're going to have to make a decision. Your daddy made a decision. Your brothers may have made a decision. It's your turn. Your turn. I remember some miserable church services. Jeez. As a kid, who would have thought? I mean, just sitting there, just, I'm gut-wrenching misery. And I made it through several of those services and didn't surrender, so I won. No, no. My mom and dad sing in a southern gospel quartet from the day my mom, my mom was pregnant with me when they started singing. They traveled. We traveled with them for 20, 20 plus years every weekend somewhere singing somewhere gospel music. And so annually we took this trip or they took this trip to Memphis, Tennessee marked to the southern gospel quartet singing convention. Eight, eight years of age, sitting in this large conference center. I'm not sure the name of it. I know pretty close where I was, kind of down front. There was this preacher that played the piano for the Blackwood Brothers. His name was Hovey Lister. And Hovey got up to speak that day. And he spoke a message. I don't, and there were thousands of people in this auditorium. And I bawled the entire service. I was just so tired of fighting. And I looked over at my dad, and he saw my tears, and he just said, let's talk about this. In the front of that big auditorium on that morning, I said, God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. I can't make this on my own. He said, I didn't think you'd ever give up. I'm so glad you're here. It was a moment that changed me. That moment in that big auditorium sitting about that area in front of this stage. <clears throat> I asked the Lord to take over my life. What a relief. What a relief that moment was. Come to me all that you are who are weary and you're heavy laden or you're burdened. I'll give you rest. That's an invitation of Jesus. Come to me all ye that are heavy laden, burdened down with sin, burdened down with the damage. And Jesus said, come to me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, take my burden upon you, if you will. Because he talks about it being light. Give me your burden, take on mine, and, my, and it'll be light for you. And then these words are written. Everyone calls on the name of the Lord 
will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In a moment, things can change. This is your moment. Would you bow your head?